Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And for those of us remaining in here, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. You know, as we come to this passage, we find a continuation of some stories that Mark has been sharing with us to emphasize the fact that Jesus helps the helpless and the hopeless. Today we're going to meet a man who would lose his daughter and a woman who was hopelessly ill, had sought many remedies for her condition but could find none. And Jesus steps in, intervenes, and we find him ministering to those who are helpless and hopeless. And you know, this same Jesus is the Jesus who meets our needs, who cares for us, who addresses every need that we have according to his wisdom, his compassion, and his grace. As we come to this text, we're going to find that Jesus Christ makes this help available through faith. That we find God's help in hopeless situations because of faith. And what we find is this. When it comes to faith, our position, our titles, how much we have, what we do, none of that makes any difference because God is no respecter of persons. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 21. and Let's look at the situation that Mark introduces us to. He says this in verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat, now remember, he had just been on the other side of Lake Galilee to help a man who had been possessed by demons, and he delivered him from that demonic possession. So he crosses back over to the other side, and notice it says, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, this has been standard operating procedure, hasn't it? As Jesus has ministered in the area of Capernaum, everywhere he went, large crowds would gather. Some of them were there to hear the very word of God. Some of them would come because they wanted to see something new and exciting happen again and again and again. And others came even as skeptics, seeking to discredit what Jesus had to say. Whatever their reasons, crowds would gather, and this happens here once again. But then, as we continue into the 22nd verse, Mark isolates on one person who had come, and this person came with a serious need. Notice the 22nd verse introduces us to Jairus because it says, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Now, let's talk about who or what a synagogue ruler is. Synagogue rulers were very highly esteemed people in the community. They had the responsibility of leading in the synagogue as a layperson, but yet someone who was in charge of the organization, the coordination of the synagogue. They had the responsibility of planning worship. They had the responsibility of seeing to all of the things that were done in the synagogue, the teaching, everything, seeing that it was managed accordingly and therefore, they were highly respected by the people of their community. Now, as this synagogue ruler comes to Jesus, we find that Jairus has nothing to say about his position. 
He doesn't come to Jesus and say, excuse me, but I am a synagogue ruler, and you need to hear me out. He didn't approach Jesus in that way at all, did he? What he does is he comes and he humbles himself before Jesus. Because right at the end of the 22nd verse, it says, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, when we look at falling at someone's feet, we understand the gesture of humility in our culture that's expressed by falling at someone's feet. But in an Eastern culture, understand that the feet are regarded as a place of insult. If you remember, when Saddam Hussein and his kingdom was taken down, what did people do? They took off their sandals, and they would hit the statue with their sandals. And it wasn't them just bludgeoning a statue. It was them hurling an insult at Saddam Hussein by taking the lowest part of their body, their sandal, and hitting the statue with it. When President Bush was speaking and people threw sandals at him. It wasn't some guy just taking target practice. That was a supreme insult directed toward President Bush. So this is a way of expressing extreme humility when you fall at someone's feet. And that's what this man was doing. He was falling at the very feet of Jesus. And then we pick it up in the 23rd verse. Look at what he did. He pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now look at his faith. This man believed that Jesus had the power to heal his daughter. He had moved out of his way from where his daughter was to where Jesus was to plead with Jesus to come back with him to heal his daughter. He was drawn to Jesus because of his need. And he expressed that need to Jesus with clarity. You can see the humility, the desperation, the hope, all of these things expressed by this man coming to Jesus in this fashion. And you know it's important for us to understand this. When Jesus goes with him in verse 24, so Jesus went with him, it wasn't because the man was the synagogue ruler. It wasn't because of his position, how he was viewed in the community. Titles mean something to people, but they mean nothing to God. Think about it. God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. What does anyone's position mean to him? We're all inferior to God's greatness. So God didn't look at this person in the person of Jesus Christ and say, oh, because he has such an esteemed position in the community, naturally I'll hear what he has to say. I'll go do what he asks me to do. God is not a respecter of persons. And so God went to help this person in the person of Jesus Christ because of his grace and his compassion. But then Mark shifts our story. And you know what's interesting in the book of Mark is Mark very often sandwiches stories within stories. And there's a point to it. There's a theme that he's following. The theme that he follows is that of helpless, hopeless people coming to Jesus seeking help. And so right as Jesus is going with Jairus to heal his daughter who is dying, he encounters someone else with a need. And that's what we find as we continue in this text. Something else that Mark wants us to understand is this. The failure of man's efforts shows God's strength. 
We find another helpless, hopeless person right in the middle of the 24th verse. And this is a woman. It says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So if you can picture this, Jesus is walking from where he gets off the boat inland to a city where Jairus and the synagogue was located. And pressing in on him are people. He doesn't even hardly have room to walk. As a matter of fact, everyone who can seeks to touch Jesus. You see, again, in the Eastern culture, the idea of touching a holy man and perhaps allowing some sort of blessing to come to you by touching that holy man, it's, it's evident by what these people are doing. And so here they are crowding in on him, trying to get to touch him, trying to at least be near him. And there's a woman who sort of wedges her way in. And notice verse 25. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now let's talk about this woman for a moment. She had a health condition. And many believe that it had to do with the female aspect of bleeding. And she was unable to stop hemorrhaging for a long, long time. And she was desperate. Not only because of the condition that she experienced, but also consider this. In the Jewish community, when a woman was in her cycle, she was considered unclean and therefore unable to go and worship. So not only did she have the issue of being in a place where she was having health problems, but she was outcast, considered unclean by the community, would have been excluded. So do you see the contrast between a synagogue ruler and a woman who would have been outcast because of her condition? She worms her way in to touch Jesus. And notice the text continues in verse 26 where it says this, She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Now, apologies to those in the medical field by what is said here. She suffered at the hands of many doctors. But uh, if you understand this, in those days, the medical profession wasn't exactly helpful at all times. Uh, They would have many practices that sometimes did more harm than help. And so as this woman goes for remedy after remedy after remedy, seeking help, seeking to find someone who can help her with her condition, what does she find? No man could help her. She had depleted the human resources. She had done everything that she could do to try and find healing from her condition. And notice it says that she had spent all that she had to find this resolution. Again, not just because of the physical aspect, but because she was an outcast in society because of her disease. We feel for this woman. We can see her desperation, her need. And she comes to Jesus to try and find those needs met that she could find met nowhere else. And so verse 27 tells us this. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, 
If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, once again, we see an act of faith. It wasn't easy for this woman to work her way through the crowd. She, no doubt, had a difficult time wedging her way in between people. A lot of times what happens is this. When you have people pressing in, the stronger ones are the ones that make it to the person rather than the weaker ones who are sick and really have the needs. And probably that's the case here. But somehow she found a way. Maybe she even crawled in between knees and feet to try and make her way to Jesus just so she could touch the hem of his garment. It took a great deal of faith and a great deal of work, but that was what she believed. And you know that faith might not have been unfounded. We find a couple of passages that mention this idea, this belief in the book of Mark. For instance, in Mark chapter 3 it says, For he healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Many who had diseases were coming to Jesus to try and touch him that they might find healing. And then a little bit later in the book of Mark, we find this, Mark 6.56. Wherever he went into towns, villages, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So Jesus' miracle ministry was well known. And this woman believed in Jesus. She sought in him what man could not provide. And here's what we find. The fact that she was ceremonially unclean didn't stop Jesus from healing her. Where others had avoided her, Jesus healed her. Perhaps the reason she slid through the crowd and didn't want Jesus to know what had happened was because she knew that she was ceremonially unclean and didn't want to have anything that would in any way keep her from coming to Jesus. And so look at what happens in verse 29. Upon touching his clothes, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Great story, isn't it? Not a gradual getting better, immediate. It was a miracle. God had done a work in her body and in her life. And I like the way the NIV translates it when it says it freed her from her suffering. It was something that immediately stopped. She no longer experienced the health issue and therefore would no longer be ceremonially unclean. God had resolved her issues. But then we come to the next part of the passage. And what we find is this. Faith frees us from bondage and fear. You know, as we come to the 30th verse, we see that Jesus realizes that something had happened. He realized that someone had been freed from their suffering. And that it had come through faith. And so look at what Mark tells us here in the 30th verse. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You know, what we find in this woman is 
very much what we find in anyone who comes to Christ with a need. When we come to Christ with a need, we find the solution in Jesus Christ. And it takes faith. Think of our salvation. We came sin-sick, hopeless, helpless. Nothing that we could do or anyone else could do would bring salvation to any one of us. But yet, when we trust that Jesus will free us from our sin and condemnation, He frees us. Faith opens the door to blessing so that we can experience the salvation, the deliverance that Christ has for us. This woman beautifully illustrates what takes place. But here's something even more amazing. Jesus doesn't just save us to say, you're now freed, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus frees us that we might know Him and have a relationship with Him. Jesus could have just kept on walking, right? It would have been very easy for Him to continue His way through the crowd to go to Jairus' daughter. And you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes with me, I can be very rude in that way. I get focused on a task. And I'm so focused on the task, I'll, write, I'll, I'll walk right past people and not notice them. And sometimes people say, man, how rude is pastor? You know, No, pastor's not rude, he's just got tunnel vision. So you're thinking about what you could... You see, what it is, as you get older, you're afraid you'll forget what you went to do. <laughs> so that's kind of where I am at this juncture. But, but not with Jesus. Jesus knows that a woman was helped. And so he asks the crowd, who touched my garment? And he did that so that this woman who had been ignored by society would no longer be ignored. That people could see that something had happened to her. He was helping her not only with her condition, but with her relationship with the community. And Jesus wanted the opportunity for her to interact with him and him to interact with her. So he stops and he asks this, and the disciples, as usual, just don't get what he's saying. Because look at verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? In other words, the disciples were more or less saying, who isn't touching you? You know, how could you ask that? But Jesus had a specific person in mind. And that was this woman who had come to him in her need. And notice what we find as we go on to the 32nd verse. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. The woman acknowledged what she had done, and she threw herself at Jesus' mercy, threw herself at his feet. The woman, though, believed in Jesus and found the solution to her dilemma. Then look at Jesus' response in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has healed you. You know, we talked moments ago about how this woman illustrates for us a person who comes to Jesus. When we look at the wording of what Jesus says, first of all, there's this 
address that he gives to her daughter. It's a warm address. It's a way of saying to her, I value you. I care for you. It's a way of him saying, child of mine. And then when he says, your faith has healed you, this can also be translated, your faith has saved you. The same word is used here for heal that in the original language is also translated saved. And I think perhaps saved might be even a better translation in this particular context. Because, you see, she wasn't only healed physically and socially. I believe she was also healed spiritually in the sense that she was turning her heart and her life to Jesus Christ. She was placing her faith in Him. She believed who He was. And she had entrusted her hope and her future into Him. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful text. And Jesus' address to her has so much meaning. But then look at what He says to her after this. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now to go in peace means more than I hope things work out for you, see you. In the Hebrew mindset, peace carries with it the idea of wholeness. You have been restored. Shalom carries that idea. More than just absence of conflict, but more the idea that may you be whole and complete. And you know that's what Jesus did for this woman and her need. He took away the thing that had separated her from friends and family, and took away the sin and the heart that had separated her from God and made her whole. It's a wonderful thing that takes place that we see happening to this woman. And most of all, look at the last part of this. And be freed from your suffering. The word that's translated suffering in this passage means to go under the scourge. It's a strong word for suffering. Jesus recognized the pain and suffering that this woman had experienced, not only physically, but psychologically, spiritually, socially. And Jesus was saying, all of these things are addressed. Go in peace. Be whole. Tremendous news for this woman. But we're going to pick up Jairus now as we come to verse 35. And what we're going to see is this. The finality of death is overcome through faith in Jesus. When we come to Jairus, look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Sensitive guys, huh? I mean, talk about just a shotgun blast coming out of the mouth. That's what we see here. These people come and immediately say, your daughter is dead. You'd think they could have framed it a little more delicately, but not them. And you almost get the impression that they weren't exactly on board with Jairus going to see Jesus because they say, why bother this teacher anymore? By the way, this could be translated even, why bother with this teacher anymore? 
So they were making a statement about Jesus. You're wasting your time. We told you you were wasting your time when you went to see him. And now, proof. Your daughter's dead and there's nothing he can do about it. But what do we see as we go on in the story? Verse 35 continues, and and it talks about how in this text, excuse me, verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, he's just received news that his daughter's dead. And Jesus immediately says, don't be afraid, just believe. And I want you to think about what this says about faith for a moment. The word of God being expressed by God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is more powerful than human reason. It's more powerful than what makes sense to us as human beings. Had the man been thinking as, as a human being when Jesus said, don't be afraid, He probably would have said, don't be afraid. She's dead. What are you talking about? But what do we find? His invitation to Jairus to believe led Jairus to continue to believe despite what he had been told, despite what his emotions were were telling him to do, despite all of that, he was going to trust in Jesus. And so look at verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now again, a tradition in the ancient Near East and even in the East today is when people die, people mourn very expressively. A very loud wail will come out of their mouths. And as a matter of fact, a part of their culture was to even hire professional whalers. Not the ones that throw spears and harpoons at whales, but the ones that scream out and cry. They had perfected the art. And so you would hire professional people to follow behind the dead or stand outside the house of the dead and wail. Now, we don't know if that's what's going on, if there was the heartfelt loss that one feels at a time of death. But here are these people crying and screaming and wailing. And then we come to verse 39. Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And then look at the response of the people in verse 40. But they laughed at him. See, these people were looking and were saying, now wait a minute. I know dead And this girl is dead. She's not asleep. She's dead. Why would Jesus say in this instance, the child is not dead, but asleep? There's a difference in perspective. You see, for these people, everyone that they had known who had died remained dead. So what they're saying is death is final. There's no coming back from death This girl has died. Great healer and teacher, there's nothing you can do here. Just go away. It's ridiculous to even think that you can address this. But what we find with Jesus is a difference in perspective. 
For those of us who have lost loved ones, isn't it a comfort to know that death is only a sleep for the child of God? They will be awakened by the resurrection when Jesus returns. And their spirit is in the presence of the Lord, even as we speak. Death is but sleep for the child of God. The resurrection's coming. And Jesus knew that. Now, for the little girl, her resurrection was coming sooner than anyone anticipated. Because as they're laughing, we find that in verse 40, after he had put them all out, so Jesus said, if you're just going to laugh, leave. So they go out. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. So imagine this scene. A distraught mother and father, a lifeless child laying there, and Jesus walking in and taking the child's hand. Verse 41, it says this. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. The word that's translated get up in this passage, we find in other passages of Scripture. And you know what it's used of? Resurrection. In other passages of Scripture, a clear word for resurrection. And so Jesus, by the command of his voice, demonstrates his power over death itself. Now, did this go down the way Jairus thought it would when he approached Jesus the first time? Absolutely not. He thought Jesus would come, touch the girl, she would revive, and she would be healed. He never saw the girl dying as he planned this out in his mind. And then he certainly never saw resurrection taking place as he planned it out in his mind. And you know, that's the thing about faith. It's easy to believe when we can see all of our plans coming together. And everything that we anticipated might happen did happen, and it was resolved just in the way that we thought it should be. And we think, what a glorious thing. But you know, sometimes, and what I'm finding is most times, God works outside our comfort zone. And he certainly works outside our plans. And it's always for the greater glory of God. We can't always look at something and say, I have it all planned out, this is the way it's going to work out, and and I know it's going to be good because I believe in Jesus, and because I believe in Jesus, of course he's going to do what I want him to do. And so everything's going to come together just the way I thought it would. Does not happen. As a matter of fact, it rarely happens in that way. Faith means that we trust God even when we've taken a shot, even when we've faced something difficult. We trust God. Even when it makes sense to not believe, we still believe because we trust God over what we can perceive and what we can think and what we can rationally come to. Faith trumps all these things. And that's what Jairus did. And look at what happened as a result, verse 42. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. Now, 
There's an interesting parallel we find here. The woman who had the bleeding issue, 12 years. The girl, 12 years old. I don't know how that fits together, but it's an interesting observation. But what we find is this. When the people saw this, they were astonished. What are you going to say? A dead girl raised to life. None of them anticipated that. None of them could have seen Jesus doing that. All they could do was stand there amazed. You know, I would have paid money to see the faces of the people that laughed at Jesus when that little girl walked out the door. That would have been sweet. But here, these people are astonished. And then look at verse 43. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to, keep, to have her eat something. Now, a couple of observations about this 43rd verse. I think people are going to figure out something went on when a dead girl comes out and walks outside the house. So it wasn't that Jesus was saying, keep her resurrection a secret. Because here's the thing. No one's going to keep a resurrection a secret. These people that saw this are going to go and tell everybody. But here's what Jesus was instructing his disciples and Jairus and the girl's mother to do. Don't let people in on the details of how this happened. Everybody that laughed is going to come and say, how did he do that? How did that happen? And here's what Jesus is saying. Because they didn't believe, they don't receive the blessing of knowing this. Not until they come to faith. Not until they trust me. And you know, that's true of faith. Faith opens the door to blessing. Skepticism closes it. These people weren't going to be given that blessing. And the significance of Jesus saying, give her something to eat. This wasn't like a zombie coming back. This was a live, vibrant person. And live, vibrant people eat. When you're sick, you don't feel like eating, right? Man, I had a case of the flu about a week ago. I didn't eat for like three days. Didn't even want to smell food or look at it. It was disgusting. When you're well, you have that healthy appetite back. So Jesus was saying, give the girl something to eat, indicating her health and indicating the fact that she is alive. She's a human being. She consumes things to keep alive. An amazing, amazing miracle. So what do we see in these stories this morning? We see that Jesus indeed helps the helpless and the hopeless. And he helps them by them coming to him, humbling themselves before him, and saying by faith, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you to resolve my issue. Now, let me say this. There are many people who have struggled with sickness and disease, and it doesn't always mean that Jesus will heal your sickness and your disease. There are walking examples of godly, faithful people who have prayed and been prayed over that God, for whatever reason, chooses not to heal. But let me also say this. There is an ultimate healing that comes. Where in Christ Jesus, we will no longer suffer. Godly people die. Godly people suffer. But there will be a time where they are delivered because of the power of Jesus Christ from all of these things. And the way to find hope 
in the midst of your helplessness is to turn by faith to Jesus Christ, to count on Him to save you, to deliver you, to address your needs ultimately by what He did on the cross, the deliverance that He gives ultimately for eternity as we go home to be with Him. Let me invite you this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, make this morning that day that you open your life to the blessing of God, finding forgiveness, a relationship with Him, freedom from your sin. And child of God, if you are going through difficult situations, some of it economic, some of it physical, some of it emotional, some of it spiritual, this same Jesus is there to sustain you by his grace and produce in you godliness and depth. If there were an easier way for Christ to develop you and strengthen you than the trials that you face, he would choose it. He's not cruel. But learn from them. Grow as a result of them, and look to the ultimate deliverance that Christ gives for all of us when we go home to be with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text.